At the end of World War II, there was a United States sub coming back from the war. And it was coming in to dock at Newport News, Virginia. Something went terribly wrong on its way back into dock because it sunk right to the bottom of the ocean in the harbor. It had been, not been touched at all during wartime. The, the Coast Guard dispatched divers to discover what had happened to the sub. Has the hull been compromised in some way? And when the divers got down there to actually examine the sidewall of the submarine, they heard a banging from inside the sub. And it was a sailor banging out in Morse code. Is there hope? This is a foundational question of life, is it not? We live in a very broken world where things don't go right. So hope is essential. Hope to your soul is like the air that you breathe to your body and your lungs. You need hope to be alive. Question is asked by so many people, is there hope? Particularly this time of year, you know this time of year there are thousands of people that struggle with depression and anxiety on different levels than ever before. Some of us here today, we may be going home to a pile of bills and we'll sit down in front of them and ask, is there hope? You may be standing by the side of a fresh grave this year at some point, and you're asking yourself the question, is there hope? Maybe you sat in a doctor's office recently, and you got a troubling diagnosis. And you ask yourself and God and those around you, is there hope? Maybe you got laid off recently, and you're waiting for a job offer, and you're really wondering, is there hope? Maybe you're wondering if you'll ever get married. Is there hope for that God? And maybe you are married and you're wondering, will my marriage ever work right? Maybe you're without a child and you're asking God, is there hope for me to ever have a baby? Is there hope for me to ever have a family? The question of hope is an essential question of life. Because so many of us are so hungry for hope We buy into schemes and gimmicks and quack ideas and fads and therapies. We're grasping for your straws because we're thinking that somehow we'll find hope in the things of this world. Can I tell you something? All disappointment, all discouragement comes from putting our hope in something that we were never meant to put our hope in in the first place. Paul says there's only one thing that can give you eternal hope, lasting hope, permanently hope, and that is a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This week I went on the internet, and I looked up lists of things to find hope, eight ways to have hope. Can I tell you the first one I found on the top of a list of eight things to have hope was have a cup of tea. Really? I mean, a cup of tea might calm my spirit for 10 minutes or something, but I'm not going to find hope in a cup of tea. Second was this one. Say this affirmation every day in front of a mirror. I am the key to peace. Can I tell you something, folks? If I'm the key to peace, we are in deep weeds indeed. I said all discouragement, all disappointment comes from putting our hope in something other than God. When you hope in money you're going to be disappointed. When you hope in the economy and your investments, you're going to be disappointed. When you hope in the government, you are going to be severely disappointed. Yeah, you can clap for that. When you hope in other people, when you hope in yourself, you're going to get let down. 
Because you were never intended to find permanent and lasting hope in the people around you or in your own resources. There's no other person that can meet your needs for hope here on planet Earth other than the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That is my hope for us as we face this Advent season. With all its temptations towards busyness and distractions is that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and that we would mount up on wings like eagles and that we would run and not grow weary. That we would walk and not be faint. I don't know about you, but There's so many Advent seasons that go by, and I can look on January 1, back on the last five to six weeks, and go, you know, that was good, but I wished, I wish I had focused on the Lord more. There's so many things that distract us about Christmas time. There's so many things in this season, starting right at Black Friday, that have nothing to do with Jesus. How many of us love Christmas lights? The lights are a great symbol. They're beautiful. Christmas balls and decorated Christmas trees and little elves and all kinds of other things. Can I tell you those things have nothing to do with Christmas? I don't mean to shatter your dreams. I love those things too. How many love to hear a good rendition of Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer? (laughs) That's a good thing. You know, like it's fun. But that's not what Christmas is all about. I feel like, you know, Charlie Brown... When he's living on planet Earth, and I think his character was so well-developed, and he's saying, is there anyone that really knows what Christmas is all about? I even sound like him, don't I? <laughs> Some days I feel like him, such a blockhead. You remember Linus? He drops his blanket. That is significant. When Linus drops his blanket, you know something is up. He says, I do, Charlie Brown. And he steps to the center of the stage and he says, lights please. And he speaks from the word of God. How precious, how beautiful. And he tells Charlie Brown about the story of Jesus. So I pray today that we'll discover the story of Jesus once again in a new way. And that God will revive our hearts so that we find the hope that we need in him this Advent season. And that we would live our lives differently because of who he is. Father, I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you that your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. And I thank you, Lord, that you are here now and your spirit is prompting us, Lord God, to press deeper into understanding your love for us and your presence in our lives. So God, I ask now that you would inhabit your son. I know I have nothing to offer in and of myself. But Lord, I know you have everything. And I have you. I thank you that we together have you and that you are ready and able to free us, Lord God, from the bondage that we are experiencing and give us new hope. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's three things, I think, from the nativity scene. How many people have ever seen a nativity? 
Hopefully everybody here, you're all alive, right? So you've seen a nativity scene. And I've seen they're actually on the comeback a little bit. There was a season there in our country where they weren't as popular in storefront windows anymore. But you know, they're kind of coming back, which is beautiful. So I want to point out three things in the nativity scene to you that you can hold on to every time you think or see a nativity scene or you think about a nativity scene. I want you to remember this. A star, a stable, and a manger. Can you say that? A star, a stable, and a manger. So I'm going to read from Matthew 2 first, and then I'm going to read from Luke 2. Listen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. These were astrologers, they were pagans, and they were coming from what's modern Iran and Iraq, and they were walking 800 miles guided by a star. They came from the east to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When King Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may worship him. And from Luke 2, verse 8 through 12, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. Can you imagine what that must have been like? And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Today, we start with a star. Have you looked at the stars recently? Anybody looked at the stars recently? So, the vastness of our universe cannot be overestimated. Astronomers have estimated that the observable universe has more than two trillion galaxies. I'm going to say that again. Two trillion galaxies. Our own Milky Way galaxy is one of those two trillion galaxies, and it's home to 300 billion stars. I'm going to stop and say that again. There's two trillion galaxies. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, is home to 300 billion stars. The Milky Way is dwarfed by other giant elliptical galaxies, which can be 20 times the size of the Milky Way. By measuring the number and luminosity of observable galaxies, astronomers put current estimates of the total population of stars at roughly 70 billion trillion That's 7 times 10 to the 22nd power. The proper distance between Earth 
and the edge of the observable universe is 46 billion light years. A light year is the unit of astronomical distance equivalent to the distance that light travels in a year. Now listen, light travels at the speed of 186,282 miles per second. That's not per hour, that's per second. So light just traveled 186,282 miles. So travel at 186,282 miles per second for 46 billion years, and you will reach the edge of our observable universe. Is anybody feeling small yet? <laughs> I hear things like this, and I'm like, I am nothing. I am a speck in the cosmos. And God says, to some extent, you're right. But I love you. I love you, my little speck. <laughs> and you are of great value to me because I made you in my own image. You see, we reflect the glory of God in the way that we're made. But can you imagine the power that it took to create a universe and galaxies so vast with billions and trillions of stars? Can you imagine the power that it took to create that? I can't even begin to comprehend that, but let me ask you a question. If God create a universe this expansive, this intricate, and this overwhelming, do you think he has the power to change your life? Well, the obvious answer should be, of course, of course. Do you think he can bring hope to your hopeless situation? The answer would be, of course. But still, so many of us disbelieve that God wants to or that he can. The scripture records that God who created all of this, he commandeered a single star to be a guide to seekers of truth. Now, we don't know a lot about these wise guys. That's what I'll refer to them as, the wise guys. You know, I want to bust your Christmas bubble, but we don't really know if there was three. We actually think there was far more than that. We three kings of Orient are, somebody made that up. We know there was at least two, but many scholars think there's 15 or 20. So it's a little more crowded around the stable. Um, and what we do know about them is they traveled from Bethlehem to the area of modern, from, from modern Iran, Iraq, about 800 to 900 miles, making them pagans. They weren't part of the Jewish culture. They were outside of the religious environment that Jesus was born into. We know they were astrologers and they were called magi. Now, they may have been following ancient teachings that were planted in the Magi based on prophecy of Daniel, since Daniel was appointed chief over the Magi. If you remember this, Daniel was taken into exile under Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon, and because he was such an outstanding man of God, Nebuchadnezzar made him chief over the Magi. So Daniel was speaking into these guys a long time before Jesus was born in flesh into the world. So it's more than likely that Daniel brought to them the knowledge of the long-awaited Messiah and gave them direction as how to watch and when to watch for happenings in and around Judea. These men were seekers. They had become inquisitive and curious enough to become aware of what God was doing. 
And while they didn't fully understand what he is doing, they walked toward what he was doing. Listen carefully. They even walked eight to 900 miles to go toward what God was doing. And what they found, when they found what God was pointing to, what they, what they, when they found it, they rejoiced. They were filled with joy. God loves when seekers walk toward what he is doing. And can I tell you something? God is always doing something. Can you say that after me? God is always doing something. Look, this star is a symbol that God always provided travel guides to earnest seekers. Throughout history, God has always seen to it that those who earnestly seek after Jesus will find him. He says, seek me and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and it will be given unto you. The question is, do we take notice and do we walk toward the stars that he's provided for us? May I bring to your attention that the vast majority of people in the nation of Israel didn't even take notice of this star. And they had no knowledge of this little baby being born in a manger. The vast majority were far too distracted with Black Friday shopping. <laughs> to even notice, they wanted the best deal, and they wanted to get the circulars out of the paper, and they wanted to actually get more stuff, and they weren't paying attention to what God was doing. I think very little has changed since then. I think the vast majority of us are so distracted that we miss God's star. And I'll tell you this, I think the literal trappings of this season that draw us to focus more on gift giving and more on getting the right gift for someone and making sure you don't give you know, too much to one person and not enough to the other and running up credit card debt and making sure the house is decorated and baking and cooking and doing all these wonderful things, we get so overwhelmed that we miss the reason for the season. We miss Jesus Christ. We miss the stars. Can I bring to your attention that other than the Magi, the only people that actually even took note of this baby were some poor shepherds out in the field? And they had angels coming to them. I mean, my gosh, can I tell you something that's even worse? All the religious people who said they knew God weren't looking for God. You know, I believe the reason that this happened is because religious people stopped being seekers at some point. You know, what we do is we kind of get our theology all tied up with neat little bows, and we go, I know Jesus. And can I tell you something? I know Jesus, but I don't know a whole lot about Jesus. Let's just say the floor to the ceiling is, is the vastness of who God is. Can anybody even raise their hand and say they know that much about God? Anybody willing to do that? Because you've got to have everybody else sit back so the lightning bolt doesn't hit them. Can you know this much? How about that much? Anybody say they know that much? I can't even say that I know that much about God. I can tell you this, what I know about him, I love. But the question before you is, are you still a seeker? You see, what happens when you become religious is you kind of get all this theology tied up and you think, well, I got it down. And then familiarity, who you think Jesus is, creeps in and you forget that there is deep mystery associated with God. And you forget to keep seeking. You see, people who seek God, they look for stars. And when they see the star, 
They walk toward it in awe and wonder as to what God is doing. They're like, Jeff, I mean, I don't see stars around me. Well, can I tell you, I think God uses people as stars. I really do. If you're here today and you were invited by somebody else, can I tell you that person is probably a star for you? Because God uses people in our lives to bring us into a deeper and closer relationship with God. I can name dozens of people in my life that have been used by God to bring me closer to him. Mark Hidgley, Dan Crozer, Vivian Young, Lennon Roger Heffington, the list goes on and on and on. You know, when I was at Peabody Conservatory of Music, I was a Buddhist. I was contemplating my navel, and I wasn't very good at it to begin with. I was also doing like, things like rebirthing, where I would hyperventilate myself until I would get visions and relive my birth experience. And all this was a bunch of crap. <laughs> but I didn't know it. I was seeking And I went into my studio at Peabody Conservatory because I was working on the master's and piano performance, and I met this lovely named woman. Woman, it was Vivian Young, and she said, hey, would you like to come to a party? I thought she was rather attractive, and I said, yeah, sure. I said, when can I pick you up? She said, no, I'll meet you there. I said, oh. She met me at the door, and she didn't talk to me the rest of the night. She was a wise woman. (laughs) I was not a safe man. But you know what she did? She introduced me to a community of stars because this was a fellowship of God. And I met Dan, and I met Mark, and I met Lynn, and I knew Roger, and I met these people, and I actually started encountering in them things that I had not encountered in people before. They were safe people to be with. They spoke from their hearts, and they had this adoration, and they wanted to love me, and they wanted to serve me, and I thought, what is up with these people? And then I found out They were Christians, and I thought, oh my gosh, I've lost my mind. (laughs) But God was using these stars in my life to guide me into intimacy with him and to cross from death to life. For there, I came into a relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, of which I will never, never regret. It's the most important decision that you can ever make is enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But even when you're in a relationship, God uses other people in your life to guide you deeper into his presence. Are you watching? Are you listening? Are you looking? Or are you too busy? Can I tell you one of the stars in my life? Our son Noah. He's 20 years old. You know, and he sat down at the table with me yesterday morning. He said, what you doing? I said, I'm working on my message. And most people know when dad's working on his messages on a Saturday morning, like you need to let like back off. He said, well, can I speak into it? And in my flesh, I went, absolutely not. I'm just keeping on. But the spirit man inside of me said, oh, go for this. I said, yeah, absolutely. And I closed my book. I picked up a piece of paper. I said, yeah. And he said, well, you told me it's on hope, right? I said, yeah. And he started pouring out jewel after jewel after jewel after jewel into my heart and into my mind. Noah's one of my stars. Tracy is one of my stars. Michaela, Zachary, Ben, Ariana, these are stars in my life. You're like, Jeff, you mean to tell me that my wife is a star? Yes, she is. You're like, well, she's a dark star. No. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. God has put you intentionally in the relationships you are in. 
you go nowhere by accident. God is sovereign in control of your life, and he has put your wife in your life to be a star. He's put your husband in your life to be a star for you. He's given you children. He's given you parents. He's given you workers and friends, and you will see God in them if you listen, if you pay attention. The question is, are we paying attention? God not only uses people, but he uses the whole of his creation to speak to us. He uses circumstances. Have you ever like heard from God in the morning and you kind of go, hey, thanks for depositing that. And you walk out and three minutes later, you hear the same thing again. And then you hear it like three hours later again. And you hear it like another hour later again. And you hear it like 15 times in one day. And you're like, okay, God, I get the point. He uses circumstances in our lives to guide us as stars. He uses media and movies. He uses music and trees and bees and mountains and rivers. He uses it all. Why does he use everything? Can I tell you? Because he loves you so much. He loves you so much. His heart is so overwhelmed with love for you that he's reaching out to you and crying out to you through everything he has made. The question is, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you a seeker? And are you walking towards the stars when you see them? Are you saying, frankly, I'm just too busy today, God. Maybe tomorrow. You see, you only have this one and only life to live. And God is speaking to you now, and he's speaking to you every day. And the question is, will you become a seeker? If you're not, you can always start over again. Because God's mercies are new every morning. And great is his faithfulness. So, I want to tell you, every time you follow a star, you are going to find a stable. No question about it. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now look, I can assure you that this place was not a quaint little place. I know there's controversy over whether or not it was really a stable or whether it was someone's home. That controversy really doesn't matter because there was a manger in it. And you know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough for cows. So... More than likely, this place was crowded with smelly animals. How many people love the way animals smell when they're together? There are a few of us. Yeah, I understand that for a little while. But see, smelly animals, dark and damp, and it was more than likely overrun with rodents. It's an all-around rotten place to birth a baby. Ladies, how many of you would like to give birth in a barn? So it begs the question, if God could commandeer a star to guide these people into the presence of Jesus, why could he not commandeer a suite at the Bethlehem Hilton? <laughs> the answer is obvious. Of course he could have, if he wanted to. But he deliberately chose not to. He deliberately to chose to put his son down very strategically in a place where he would not be sheltered from the harsh realities of this life. God had no intention of shielding Jesus from what you and I face every day. He deliberately chose not to put his son down in the make-believe world of the rich and famous. God wanted his son to experience life in its blue-collar boldness. The first smell in his nostrils burned with animal stench. To hear the first noises of grunts of livestock, his outfit was made of dust cloths, which is the equivalent of grease rags. 
He chose not to shelter Jesus from the rude and crude realities of life here on planet Earth. Why? What was God's purpose? Can I tell you something? Love always comes close. It always comes close. How many of you have ever tried to be, love someone from across the room? How many of you have ever said someone is across the room and they're trying to care for you when you're hurting, but they're standing 20 feet away? Doesn't that feel a little detached? When they come to you and they actually enter into your physical space and they get close to you, it shows that they care about you. You see, when they get up close to you, it shows that they want to be intimate with you. Can aristocrats relate to what you go through every day? On one level, they can, because they're human, just like you and me. But on a whole other level, not at all. Years ago in Romania, there was an iron-fisted aristocrat who lived in palential splendor. He told the common folk to eat cabbage while he lived in a palace. And for over 20 years, the people's resentment grew stronger and stronger until they couldn't take it anymore. And not only did they break into the palace and they threw all his personal effects and property away, but they threw his can out on the street as well. And they torched the whole palace. You see, for decades, they listened to this guy spout his speeches and they followed his orders and they marched to his drumbeat while all the time they were muttering under their breaths, he's not one of us. He's not one of us. He has no idea what we're going through. You see, this guy was shielded and sheltered. Take a good look at the stable, my friends. God chose to give us a permanent symbol of that Jesus was born into the real world. And for our sake, Jesus was given no aristocratic advantage. He worked a real construction job. He was born into a blue-collar family with poor teenage parents. He lived in a small, middle-to-lower-class neighborhood. He had real friends. He suffered hardships just like the rest of us. And he died a cruel death for a crime that he did not commit. So when the Bible encourages you to pour your heart out to an ascended Savior of the world, you can do so with the absolute assurance that Jesus understands your pain. He gets it because he's been there. Life without advantage, he lived it. Shortage, poverty, he's been there. Discrimination, oppression, Jesus was a refugee from his first birthday. Rejection, he experienced it in boatloads. Ridicule, it was part of his daily life. Abandonment by lifelong friends in his hour of greatest need. Death of loved ones multiple times. Physical pain more than any of us could ever experience here on planet Earth. Let me ask you a question. Has some experience in your life ever driven you to within an inch of your breaking point? Anybody ever been driven to within an inch of your breaking point? Has someone experienced hurt you so deeply that you wanted to cry out, I can't go on because nobody understands me? If that's true, look at the stable. Be reminded that this Christmas that Jesus Christ understands because he's been there. He can identify with you no matter what you are going through. What more? You can't possibly understand how much you matter to him. He loves you. The stable stands as a symbol that God chose to enter our world unsheltered and unshielded from the cruelty of this place. And this world can be cruel. Anybody say amen to that? It's a monument to his ability to sympathize and be compassionate towards you. We must understand, though, 
that we need to be humble and trusting enough to pour our hearts out to him and then allow him to like restore us to wholeness once again, to restore hope to our lives. This sounds very cliche, but the essence of Christianity is a relationship with a resurrected Savior. It's a dynamic, restorative relationship. It's with the one who understands your every hurt, all of your pain, and everything you need. He gets it, and he's with you in it. So now we change our focus a little tighter in from the star to the past the stable and onto the manger. See, the manger is where the ordinary becomes extraordinary. It's not a first century bassinet. If that's what you picture when you think of a manger, think again. It's a far cry from that. A manger is nothing but a feed trough for cows. It's a crudely constructed piece of farm furniture, ordinary in every way. And if you think about it, you probably wouldn't even know what a manger was unless it was mentioned in the words of Scripture. You see, it was mentioned in a little crypt of Scripture, and it says God laid his son Jesus Christ, down in a manger. Look what happened to an ordinary piece of furniture when God resided in it. All of a sudden, it has new dignity. It's now a household world. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. A feeding trough for cows has now become a cradle for the king. That's quite a transformation, wouldn't you agree? Look at the manger. It's a symbol of what can happen to an ordinary man or an ordinary woman when Jesus Christ resides inside. It's a symbol of what has happened to thousands of people all around the world. Ordinary people, average run-of-the-mill people, here, there, and everywhere people, working, thinking, acting, and relating people until one day these ordinary people saw themselves for who they truly were, lawbreakers in God's eyes. Sinners and moral failures. They couldn't hide their failure anymore. They were busted. They came to realize that they couldn't change their past record. And probably in the midst of all their trying, they couldn't change their future conduct. They knew that they would be standing guilty when judgment day came. And they fell to their knees in tears and in repentance. And they cried out, God, I see my poverty and my brokenness before you. I don't even come close to your perfection and I am unworthy of your presence. And then second, they pleaded for God's grace that had been offered to them in the blood of this child named Jesus Christ. For he said, if anyone comes to me, they will have eternal life. And so they cried out to God and they received this gift of salvation that God had given them. And they couldn't help but adore him. They couldn't help then turn to worship the one who had directed them by stars, who had humbled them by stables, and who had given them new dignity and honor, just like he did with a common cow trough that carried the Savior of the world. They, too, carried the Son of God in their hearts. They're now adopted. They're now forgiven. They're now deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally accepted. They're brought into the family of God as sons and daughters of God. Ordinary people who fell to their knees just as the Magi did and they cry out, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for who you are and for what you did for me. Thank you that you brought me back to life by your blood and thank you now that you live in my heart. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that God takes ordinary people and makes them extraordinary. The very average man or woman becomes exceptional through responsiveness to God. Where a man was once a people pleaser, now he's only concerned about pleasing God and no one else. Where a woman was much self-absorbed and filled with self-pity, now she becomes a woman exceptional in love for other people and thoughtfulness and generosity and tenderness and purity. Once he was a man filled with greed and lust in his heart, and now he's a man who's deeply generous and has respect for all people. Once she was a gossip, filled with resentment towards the people around her, and now she is a woman with a gentle spirit who speak words of life and words of encouragement and words of edification into the lives of other people. You see, God does to humans what Jesus did to the manger. He takes something very ordinary and he makes it incredibly extraordinary. What about you? Will you allow Jesus to bring this kind of transformation into your life? See, whenever you see a nativity, I want to encourage you to look for the star because God always provides travel guides to those who earnestly seek him. Look at the stable. Don't ever forget that God did not come sheltered. He understands everything you're going through. And look at that manger, an ordinary piece of furniture that was turned into a king's cradle. The choice is simple. You can allow another advent just to go by you Just take little glimpses at the stars and just keep going on your busy way. Or you can stop and fall on your knees in gratitude, giving thanks to God in worship and in repentance. For he is the one. He is the one who is worthy of our praise. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your people. I thank you that you've given us a choice this day. I thank you, Lord God, that you provide stars in our lives everywhere we go you love us. You speak to us through other people and through creation and everything you've made, God. Help us to be awake, Lord Jesus. Help us to lift our eyes from ourselves to you and to see the stars and to walk toward them, Lord, knowing full well that we'll reach a stable. And there we can be reminded, Lord God, that you did not come to this life sheltered. You did not come to this life with great privilege but you were born in poverty. You experienced all of our pain, all of our temptation, and you understand us completely, God. Help us to look a little closer and to see that manger and understand that you take ordinary people and make them extraordinary when you take up residence in their hearts. God, help us to start anew again pray this all in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. And as we sing this final song, if you're in a place where you feel like you're missing the stars, please come forward and let somebody pray for you. Maybe you just need a prayer to wake up that you would see how God is bringing guidance to your life. Come forward. Maybe you're in a place where you feel so alone and you don't believe God or anybody understands you. Please come forward and let one of these folks pray for you. And I have a special word to some of you in here today who think that your life could never be extraordinary. 
You think you're too far gone. You think there's no hope for you. You don't think that Jesus can take up residence in your life and make it extraordinary. Please come forward and know that God loves you and that he will make your life extraordinary for the cause of his kingdom. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's sing together.